Today's show is brought to you by Bogart Extractors, an industry leader in hydrocarbon extraction. Over the last decade, Bogart has implemented many new technologies, which have helped to revolutionize the way hydrocarbon extractions are performed. Each unit is made with sanitary stainless steel and is built and tested right here in the USA. Their certified system for use in licensed facility meet all NFPA and ASME standards and undergo peer-reviewed by third-party engineers to ensure facilities and its employees can operate safely. Beyond simply making a functional extractor, Bogart has many additional features which make extraction faster and more cost-effective compared to other manufacturers. These features include hydrocarbon failing films to supercharge evaporation rates, heavy-duty explosion-proof pumps for flammable liquids and vapors, industrial chillers capable of maintaining large tanks of solvent at temperatures below 60 Celsius. They also offer extensive tech support and consultation services. So whether you need to set up an extraction lab from scratch or you just need some replacement gaskets, Give them a call at 855-553-3887 or check out their website at www.bogart.com. Hello and welcome to another deep dive conversation. My name is Mark Stelli. I'm the CEO of CanTrade and the host of The Hemp Show. Today with me, I have on Michael Brown with Eternal Hemp Farms. Uh, Michael was on our last hemp show in our 15-minute segment. We didn't get enough time to talk about everything, so we decided to go ahead and jump on this long format and uh, you know get into the nitty-gritty. So thank you for joining us, Michael. Hey, man. Pleasure to be here, Mark. Pleasure to be here. Excellent. So last time I introduced you on the, the hemp show, if you don't mind, you know there's a lot of viewers here that didn't actually listen to that 15-minute segment. So... I'd love to hear about yourself, your background in the space, and ultimately what Eternal Hemp is doing in your own words. Yeah, well, thank you. Again, it's great to be here, and really thanks so much for starting up the platform. Uh, you know, I think it's uh, it's such a much-needed resource within this market. I mean, coming from the outside, uh, uh, and just a little bit about my background, I come from the technology world, so I started off as a developer uh, after graduating from college and built a consulting company, sold the consulting company, and then worked uh, in a variety of uh, uh, industries ranging from financial to healthcare, all the way to media, et cetera. Uh, I've always been an entrepreneur. So throughout that time, I've uh, started up and uh, uh, scaled and sometimes sold a couple of my companies. And recently, I would say within the last 10 years, I got into real estate, um, investing mostly for my family, a wonderful wife and two daughters had bear with me during, during some of these crazy times, of course. Hey, so, I you know, the, I see the smiles though. I see the smiles. <laughs> when you talk about no, it. it's all good. You know, they, they, <laughs> they, they, uh, they still love me and, and, and they haven't changed locks, which means it's, you know, which means it's all good. But, um, no, so yeah. So over the last 10 years, I started investing in real estate and through real estate is really how I met my partner, Ashish Katana. Um, we met at a real estate conference. So I've always been interested in the cannabis space as a personal user, um, as well as just seeing um, the opportunity, uh, as well as not only the social justice opportunity, but really the financial opportunity within it. You know, I, I initially invested in a uh, Jamaican uh, uh, startup uh, cannabis company based out in Jamaica uh, that unfortunately went to fall. 
And I was, you know, so I just always kept that interest. This was maybe, you know, seven years ago or something like that. Um, so within like exploring in that interest, I oddly enough at a real estate conference met my partner, Ashish Katana, uh, and we started talking about Opportunity Zones. So for those of the listeners who may not know, Opportunity Zones was part of the uh, Tax Act, uh, Tax and Job Act that uh, Trump had passed. Um, basically, what it did is it designated certain areas of the country as development areas where there's uh, huge tax benefits. So we started looking at assets within that area. And coming from the real estate mindset, you know, we, we that was our sole focus. We weren't talking or thinking about vertical farming. We weren't thinking about, you know, hemp. We definitely were not thinking about cannabis or anything of that nature. But what we realized in looking at the assets within that marketplace, we realized that you know, they were a little frothy. The asset prices were significantly inflated, um, partially because most people were penciling out a lot of deals, uh, factoring in the tax benefits without actually taking into account the actual cash flow. And so, you know, we, we, we said, let's pass on real estate for right now, but let's identify a business. So we said, you know, when everyone's looking left, let's look right, right? And so we looked a little bit to the right and we said, well, there's really an opportunity for our business, right? To start in these opportunity zones and apologies, you know, when talking about the opportunity zones, you start counting, uh, you know, you start counting how many times you say the word opportunity. It's literally, you know, it's like an overly used word when talking about this stuff. But anyway, we, we looked at different businesses and different growth areas within the United States and we landed on vertical farming. We knew full well that there were supply chain issues. Now this was in 2019, so this was pre-pandemic. We knew that there was supply chain issues. We knew that there was huge gaps within the marketplace. We knew that there were a handful of players that were in the marketplace. There was no real dominant player that could really, you know, you could, you could just easily say this is number one within the vertical farming space within, you know, within with all of this. So we looked at that and we said, this is great. The industry looks ripe. It looks like it has potential. Lo and behold, we didn't realize that a pandemic was on the way. Um, so, uh, you know, luckily for us, we identified vertical farming. But then we really looked deeper and said, well, if we're looking at the margins, and this is kind of how my partner and I think, this is really how the entire team thinks. You know, we don't look at everything just as a simple equation. We want to understand all the factors that kind of go into that. With that being said, you know, we, we looked at, well, where are the margins? What are the highest margin crops, et cetera? And that's how we stumbled on hemp. So my partner and I, we put together, you know, the hemp deal, or we put together Eternal Hemp, which uh, we later uh, named it uh, in the end of 2019. And really what we have is we have an indoor hemp or indoor vertical farming company that grows hemp. We utilize returning citizens, aka formerly incarcerated individuals, as portion of our, as a huge portion of our labor force, because we believe that we can do well and do good all at the same time, as well as we've integrated a lot of my partner's background and my background, leveraging a lot of technology. We're going to be leveraging blockchain in terms of, of in terms of seed to sale tracking. Uh, we're coming out with a mobile application that that will enable any of our customers to understand exactly what's happened with their products as they've gone through our process. In addition to that. You know, we partner with a variety of local organizations here in Wilmington, Delaware, uh, which my we are not my partner and I are not from, but this is where we decided to start uh, Eternal Hemp. 
uh, in Wilmington, Delaware, within an opportunity zone. You know, so we we just we looked at different partners, social service partners that we could partner with, and from there, you know, Eternal Hemp was born. Um, in addition to that, we went out and got supply contracts because we said, you know, no matter how great our team is, our grower of over twenty that has over twenty five years experience. Um, another member of our team, Andrew, who has over 15 years experience in terms of within marketing, media, branding, et cetera. Dan has over 15 years experience within sales and real estate, et cetera. My partner, Ashish, has over 25 years experience uh, within real estate, ground up construction, over $2 billion in sales. We realized that none of that mattered unless you have an all type agreement, unless you could say my product is going into this medium or this person is purchasing my product. So what we really focused on is tying out the loop and saying, okay, from a business standpoint, we know we can grow. We know that we have a great technology. We know that we're going to have what the, what the industry is looking for, which is a higher level of professionalism. We know full well that our technology is pushing the limits in, in some ways. And I'll get into that later on, you know, but we need to have an offtake agreement. And so that's what we did. We went out and got a handful of spot buys, and we started germinating for all these uh, agreements um, as of last week. So it's very exciting. Well, actually, sorry. Well, it was actually a couple of weeks ago we started, um, but we started on a larger scale of uh, 6,000 plants. We're going to be finishing that up uh, today, actually. So that's kind of how I got into the industry. You know, we, we, we definitely do not fit a lot of the mold of this industry. That's the one thing we've um, looked around and definitely seen that in a variety of ways. You know, we, it's funny when we were initially talking to clients that have become our clients uh, or either we're still working with, they were surprised that we actually called them back on time. Like we said, oh yeah, two o'clock, we'll have a call. And we called them at two o'clock on the designated day. I mean, it was, yeah. it was definitely quite like, okay, this is where we're starting. So it's definitely an interesting journey so far, but we're loving it. We're loving it. And the team is loving it. Uh, and we're growing as a team, which is really great and starting to institute some really great culture and, and actually hiring returning citizens and uh, moving forward. So we're, we're, we're hitting the mission, which is great. Very cool. So you, you left me a lot there. I literally, I probably wrote yeah. one thing to note when you talked about actually calling someone back on time, you know, one thing I, when I talk to growers or brands or whoever it may be is there's always this, you know, they, they always have a very strong belief in their product. You know, my product, right. is the best. my product is amazing. Now, if that is true for every business and I'm just going to assume it is given, I haven't tried everybody's products. So right. if everybody has an incredible product, well, what separates them? It's the service, right. customer service, the, right. you know, if, if you're running a business, you need to know that your supplier or your farmer is reliable that they're going to get you exactly what you need you know exactly when you need it because what happens if they don't your business hurt suffers and ultimately your clients you know and your your patients whoever it is that's using your products suffer yep. right so yeah that's a that's a huge differentiator in the space um, yeah so going back like i said i got a ton of questions not sure exactly where i want to start with everything you were mentioning uh but let's start by talking about these opportunity zones you mentioned you were in Wilmington, Delaware, and you're yes. not in Wilmington, Delaware. So my understanding of the opportunity zone is that Wilmington, Delaware, you know, is wants to have hemp businesses in the area. So there's some sort of benefit 
whether it's yeah. tax credit or or whatnot for your business to be there. Can you kind of dive a little bit more into the details as far as how yeah. you're up in Wilmington specifically? And then ultimately, you know, how does that work as far as commuting and and your team? I mean, it sounds like you yeah. got a killer team too. Did you get everybody <laughs> to come out with you to Wilmington? Uh, no, not yet. Not yet. Uh, although uh, my co-founder and I, we're going to be spending a significant, I mean, I spend four days here every single week. He spends four days every single week for the most part. Uh, you know, so we're, we're definitely going to be planted here uh, much more permanently. Uh, one of our partners, Andrew, he lives less than an hour away. So, you know, and then our engineering team is, is fairly close as well. So the way we got into Wilmington, as I mentioned, that we're looking and I'll talk about opportunity zones. The way we got into Wilmington was by looking at, you know, real estate within opportunity zones. We initially identified um, a partner of ours, uh, well, a former partner of ours, who had a uh, hemp growing license. And we got talking with them. And that's really how we got started, educated on the or getting our education on the industry. Um, so were we looking to be in the mid-Atlantic? No, we were definitely not. Um, but it was an opportunist. It was an opportunity. We saw that it was ripe in terms of um, the government, political forces were behind this movement, which is, you know, as any entrepreneur that deals in uh, this type of business, you need regulators to be with you on this. Um, it's, you know, it, it sounds like a great movie theme to fight the tide, but trust me, sometimes you just got to go along and, and, and ride the wave and of course change incrementally. So, you know, that's, that, that was really ripe for our staking our claim in Wilmington. Uh, in addition to that, the opportunity zones um, provided huge tax benefits. Um, you know, the way that the opportunity zone works is, so our investors that have come in, some of them have come in through capital gains. Um, capital gains could have been within, uh, they sold stock, they sold the real estate, they sold the business, they, you know, whatever, they sold Bitcoin, it doesn't matter. The greatest thing about the opportunity zones uh, from a financial standpoint is an investment that goes into an opportunity zone becomes not down in terms of the basis of how much you can tax. So an example would be you invest a million dollars into eternal internal hemp. Uh, because we're a qualified opportunity zone, um, you would over time, I think it's by 2025, you would only have to pay taxes on a reduced portion of that million dollars that you invested in eternal hemp, uh, which by the way, we are accepting investors just in case if anybody watching this is interested. And I'm more than happy to share my information at the end of this. So you invest a million dollars, you get a knockdown in basis in terms of how much uh, you, you get taxed. If you hold the investment within the business, real estate, whatever it is, and there's certain requirements that the, that the owner of the business, owner of the real estate has to do, uh, in order to maximize your tax benefits. But if you hold that investment within for 10 years, the capital gains from that investment becomes zero, according to what the IRS regulations right now. So an example is you invested that million dollars I mentioned, you're paying, let's hypothetically say you're paying, paying about 85, 90 to 85% of what your capital gains are, you're paying taxes on, which is really great for the investor. But then the key thing is at the end of 10 years, and sorry, just to repeat myself, at the end of 10 years, you pay zero taxes on the capital gain. So if from that million dollar investment, you made $3 million, right? The million dollars that you invested, 
plus $2 million, you would pay no taxes on the $2 million that you made out of the investment. So we saw it as from an investor standpoint, which, you know, my co-founder and I, we are investors ourselves, you know, we saw it as a huge opportunity to attract capital to areas that, you know, need jobs, need economic stimulus, but don't need the same old government stimulus of, you know, handing out checks and all this other kind of, you know, they need jobs, careers, training, mentorship, et cetera, which is what Eternal Hemp provides uh, through our vertical farming. So, yeah, so that's really in essence what, you know, uh, opportunity zones are. I would always say to anybody that's interested in investing in an opportunity zone, absolutely talk to your tax professional because there are some nuances to it, you know, but within our investment, we are, I don't want to say we've juiced the returns, but what we've done is we've tried to take advantage of as many different things that the Opportunity Zone provides us, as well as becoming a foreign trade designation. So therefore, we're not paying taxes and uh, uh, we're not paying duty duties and tariffs on equipment that we get from overseas. In addition to that, we've made partnerships with different social service organizations. So we get tax breaks as well as incentive uh, incentives coming from any uh, returning citizen that we hire. So we, you know, with us, because we are investors, because we are entrepreneurs and we're looking at all the angles, we tried to really round out the investment to enable, uh, you know, more tax incentives, more benefits for our investors. And we're going to see, you know, we're seeing it starting to pay off in particular within equipment purchases, as well as labor, you know, the cost of labor, which is one of our largest costs. And soon enough, when we get to a sustainable mechanism or method, you know, using solar, et cetera, we'll even start to see a reduction in our costs even further uh, in electricity costs as well. Excellent. So ultimately, if I was to invest, say, a million dollars, you know, in Eternal Hemp, then I and I'm when I start to receive capital gains on that million dollars, whether it's dividend or let's say I sell my shares or there's some sort of sale of the company. Yeah. Once it's beyond 10 years, I'm no longer paying capital gains on the return that I'm receiving from that million dollar, that initial million dollar investment. That is correct. Okay. So when the liquidation of the company in which we are building this company to, to get sold, um, by a larger, you know, by a larger, either pharmaceutical tobacco, uh, tobacco company, or either, you know, another grower, we're looking to the capital gains from that sale. Our investors would not have to pay capital gains tax on the sale of the company. Of course, within the opportunity zone, any funds that are created along the way or capital that is returned along the way like a dividend payment or something like that, you are paying normal capital gains taxes, but you know, at the current rate, capital gains taxes are fairly low. So it, it really becomes a win-win-win for everyone, you know, in terms of involved in, in the investment in internal hemp. Right, right. So, I mean, ultimately I, I speak with a lot of companies and um, one thing's for sure, there are some that come in with a, you know, a really solid plan and strategy. It seems as if from day one, before you even did, took any moves, you know, made any moves, you were, okay, before I even get my foot into this space, what is my strategy going to be, you know, so I can increase our potential of being successful? Yeah, we started with the end in mind, you know, we looked, Matt, I mean, we looked at and said, look, you know, what do we want to be? 
Do we believe that we are, like, as you said, everyone says that they have the best product, the best this, the best that. Okay, do we believe that we are the best? Well, we obviously must believe we're the best because we wouldn't get started if we didn't think we had a competitive advantage over anyone, right? Um, but we had to really look at this and say, well, what kind of company are we going to build that's going to be a benefit that's going to add significant value to the marketplace and therefore can be acquired um, in the right way, in the right manner, right? And give our investors a significant return on their capital. And that's how we've approached this entire uh, company since day one. Before we even really took capital, we had an understanding of what, why we were taking capital. What was going to be our social benefit? How are we going to, you know, not just great, give great returns financially, but also give great social returns uh, to our communities that we serve, that we uh, serve it. Right. Now, you mentioned starting with the end in mind. Now, yeah. a lot of businesses, a lot of people that step into this space do start with the end in mind. But that end is kind of like a, hey, we're either going to sell the company or we're going to make a ton of money in two years or we're going to do this and that. But what they fail, where you kind of filled everything, filled in the gaps is the in-between. It's like, okay, yeah. start in mind. What's the end goal? The end goal is to build a high quality, viable company that is in a great position to get purchased by, you know, an, an, an incumbent company or a company coming into the space. Now, that's fine thinking about all that. But if you can't fill in the middle portion, yeah. how do you build that company? What is that strategy? You know, that's why, for example, not a lot of companies we, we talk to, there's been a few that have specifically opened up their businesses in an, in a region, you know, for certain benefits. Uh, yeah. But it seems if you did that with not only a lot of expertise behind, but all, obviously a lot of help from, from Wilmington, Delaware, which is very yeah. cool. So, so what is that with you there four days a week? What's your, what's your commute look like? <laughs> yeah. So for me, it's two hours, two and a half hours, worst case scenario for my partner or my co-founder, it's, you know, four hours each way. Yeah. So, you know, we, you know, we had a couple investors that, that have invested with us, ask us if we were serious and we explained to them our schedule and they said, well, what do you think? You think, yeah, we're definitely serious. We're very serious. This is, uh, we are not trying to build a mom and pop um, situation. I mean, just to give you, you know, stats, we're starting out with 16,000 square feet of gross space. Uh, we have an option on uh, to expand in the same building to 50,000 square feet. Um, and then we have an option that we're holding on a 72,000 square foot building. So, you know, all in all, we're looking at like 125,000 square feet, all within opportunity zones, um, all within, you know, uh, within striking distance of each other. You know, we have most of the plan worked out, obviously, you know, we kind of going in line with how we started the company, you know, let's not take a step until we actually know what we need to do. Um, I always tell the guys like, look, you know, first thing first, like we got to do the first thing first and then we'll do everything else after that. You know, right. so right now we're just growing in our 16,000 square feet in the pink heavens and uh, we'll move from there and, and then uh, go into 50 and then from there into 72. So we covered we covered the end in mind stuff and, and kind yeah. of filling in the gap. One of the other things you mentioned earlier was offtake agreements. And yep. the comment we had, a comment I had with you on, on the last conversation we had was when the 2018 farm bill was passed and hemp was legalized in the U.S., a lot of people jumped into space having not only yep. no idea what they're doing, 
no idea how to really grow hemp, um, the quality of the genetics that they're growing, what they're going to do with it in the end, no offtake agreements. That's another one that you went in saying, all right, if we're going to actually grow stuff, we need to, we're going to actually grow hemp. We need to make sure that we have someone or multiple individual, you know, multiple companies lined up to get that hemp out. So, you know, what is it as a whole that you guys are growing? So what do you, what are you growing? What products are you producing? You know, what services are you offering? Yeah. Thanks. Great question. Um, so right now we are focused on smokable flour, right? We know it's a growing segment within the marketplace. We know that there is a lot of buzz that obviously, you know, obviously that's going on. Um, a lot of the big tobacco is looking at it, you know, lifestyle brands are looking at it, you know, smoke, other smoking sensation brands are looking at it. So we looked at that and we said, that's our entrance, right? That's where we're going to start off with. Because we are solely indoor, we have a higher quality product, right? I think no one can argue that um, who has been in this space, right? Outdoor versus greenhouse versus indoor is just a higher quality product because really there's less variation in terms of the inputs and more, um, you know, more expected outputs, uh, you know, from each grow, right? Time and time again. In addition to that, you know, we're aiming at five to potentially six harvests per year. Uh, we know five is a little bit of a stretch goal and six is a huge stretch goal. Um, but we, we, uh, we're confident in that just because of the way our processes, we started working at the processes and understanding that at scale. Uh, so back to your question, you know, we're starting in the smokable flower segment. Um, our, all of our offtake agreements are in that. Uh, we do, of course, have uh, we're looking for buyers uh, once we finish harvesting of, you know, the remainder, the biomass of the plant, uh, which typically could be used for oils, et cetera, as well as the shake or the keef, you know, from trimming. We're looking at uh, pre-roll contracts and things like that. So we will be offering more and more extended services um, outside of just growing raw flour and then, of course, giving raw materials and all that. Uh, but, you know, when we started this, we knew full well we needed to, as I mentioned before, we really needed to round the edges. Right. And so that's why we picked our lane. We said smokable flour. You know, there's a lot of outdoor product that does uh, oils. We understand that there's some greenhouse product out there that does oils. But we're going to focus on smokable flour because we feel that that is a great entrance. One, it's an easy understanding, right, for the end consumer. It's a very easy understanding in terms of if you're a cigarette smoker, well, smoking a hemp cigarette is very similar in terms of the actual action, right? The feeling, the sensation and all that, that, that could be, of course, different depending upon person to person and brand to brand. Uh, in addition to that, we saw that there was uh, a tidal wave, quite honestly, building uh, from Big Tobacco. Right. Big Tobacco has, in no uncertain terms, hinted that they are coming in this market. Just not yet. Right. They're just like, look, we're not doing it yet. But, you know, know that we will be there. So we looked at that and said, OK, well, that's a great, you know, thinking of the end in mind. We said, well, let's not cater to Big Tobacco. That's not what we're necessarily looking for. But we're saying let's let's work on their margins of where they see, where they could potentially see synergies between us. Um, in addition to that, we also said, well, we can't just have a synergy with one group of people, meaning big tobacco, let's find synergies with other potential, you know, acquirers or potential industries that we wish to get involved in. 
And so therefore we adopted and we're, uh, we adopted pharmaceutical grade or food grade uh, uh, growing, uh, a growing system, right? That we've worked with the company as well as we're modifying, et cetera. Um, so therefore we did that so that we have the option now of going into pharmaceutical, going into food, pets, you know, things of that nature, um, if we so choose to. So that's kind of how we were thinking of everything, thinking of organizing our company, and more importantly, thinking of organizing our grow that we believed would set us uh, apart from, let's say the average, you know, a, a typical um, mom and pop, let's call it uh, grow facility or grow business. Right. So totally professional business set up with yeah high quality products and customer service in mind and situated Absolutely. to situated to service some of the larger entities that come into this space. Cause ultimately yes. there's a level of professionalism. I mean, let's just be real. If you, if you want to get into a Walmart, right. You can't, it's very hard to do that with a, with a very small team that, you know, maybe right. is still using Excel spreadsheets to <laughs> place orders and, and receive orders yeah. and doesn't even have a, a viable sales email that they can reach you at. You know, you, you need yeah. an operation that they're confident when they do business with you that they're going to be able to, uh, you know, keep the product flowing and, and ultimately meet that right. bottom line. Absolutely. So we, we talked about this too in our last conversation where I have no doubt that every single one of these larger entities, whether it's big tobacco or, or pharma um, or even uh, Starbucks, grocery, yeah. uh, all across the board, Amazon, you know, and I just mentioned Walmart. I have no doubt that they, each one of those larger entities has some sort of team that is keeping an eye. How often is it that something is once completely illegal, then legalized, then, all, then ultimately could shake up nearly every industry in this country in some manner? Yeah. Does, doesn't happen often. You know, especially no. if you're in something like big pharma or, or, or sorry, big tobacco or pharmaceuticals. Yeah. I mean, that, that's part of it, Mark. Like part of the excitement of it, like, you know, we, we, our team's analytical by nature, right? We're analytical, we're conservative by nature. And so we look at things always, you know, risk reward. We're constantly looking at mitigation of risk. We're constantly looking at how are we being responsible, you know, investors? How are we being responsible owners and operators, et cetera? But you know what is really exciting, and I'm glad you, you you opened this. Is like this industry, as you said, it's coming from out of the shadow, so to speak. And there's literally, in my mind, and in our team's mind, there is no limitation to what this industry can become. Right? The usage of and look, and I understand everybody loves uh, cannabis, and you know, cannabis, cannabis, cannabis. I get it. I get it. It's kind of like. It's the sexy, new, shiny object in, in some ways. And I, I'm not downing it because we are definitely looking at cannabis, but I'm looking at this industry as a whole in terms of, you know, both cannabis and hemp. And there's like limitless potential within this in terms of for medicinal, recreational, in terms of actual building materials, in terms of, you know, clothing, et cetera. These things that, that I think for a long time, unfortunately, you could say our society was a little bit scared of because this one plant could do so much where there wasn't an equivalent out there in the market, right? And it could be cheaply done or relatively cheaply done. Um, so, it, it, you know, we, we are so excited about this because exactly what you said, how often are you at the forefront of prohibition? 
you know, how our grandparents, or well, no, our great grandparents maybe were at the forefront of prohibition, you know, but, you know, when was the last time this happened? This is very similar to the internet coming up, right? This is very similar to when Bitcoin and blockchain started rearranging people's ideas and thoughts around what money really means, right? This is really what hemp is, and this is really what the cannabis industry, including hemp and marijuana, this is what the hemp, the, the cannabis industry is about. It's, it's, you know, I think we had version 1.0, you know, a couple years ago, which, you know, did anything like any version 1.0. It was hot, it was sexy, a ton of capital, uh, some misplaced, uh, was put into the industry, um, there were no real standard operating procedures or really strict standard operating procedures. And we see even down in the market, there are a handful of just leaders, right? There's just a handful of leaders. Um, but what they've left out or what has been left out is this middle market segment, right? And we see that's really the opportunity. Um, we don't see, you know, we, we right now are starting in, in hemp. We do have our eyes on cannabis. We have an, uh, in a little bit different of a way than I think other people that are entering into cannabis. We're not necessarily, you know, if we compare it to the beer and wine segment, we are looking at it from, we're trying to be uh, in the, we're sorry, from the alcohol segment, we're trying to be the beer and wine versus, you know, the Jägermeister or, you know, tequila, like, I mean, just totally get you ripped down, you know, which is cool. I mean, you know, that, that has its time and place. Uh, but, you know, we're seeing that the demographic for this product is changing. And so, therefore, we are looking where the industry is going to be, at least where we believe the industry is going to be, to where it is, you know, um, and really what the industry is going to be in terms of the volume that's going to need to be uh, produced. Um, you know, one of the things that we're always thinking about is how do we scale? How do we properly scale where we can keep the transparency, where we can keep the opportunity uh, for ourselves, uh, very rich and for our investors, very, very rich. And, um, you know, we, we methodically are going through that. So as I said, we're, we're just analytical by nature. So we're always double checking, checking and double checking to see the opportunities that are out there. And we see that, you know, with this new industry, it's, it's, as I said, it's limitless. You know, there's so many different new products and I can go on and on and on. I mean, there's right. just so many. And maybe, and maybe we will. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it just is, you know, it's just, it just is. It's, it's, yeah. it's great. All right. So go ahead. <laughs> well, no, I mean, I, I get in these conversations all the time. Right. And when I brought up the something that's newly legalized, right. This, how often does this happen in the U S and prohibition yep. and, and that type of thing. I recently, and, and this is actually on the same hemp show that you were on, but I had the deep dive conversation with, um, with Kent Brown. And yeah. we went into a lot more depth as far as like, man, that guy, he's a wealth of knowledge. And and for everybody that's listening, that's Kent Brown with Witnessing History. He's yes. Crazy. Amazing, amazing interview, man. That was really, that was really, really great to hear. Yeah, Because well, someone that really dive in deep. Yeah. Awesome. So, so ultimately, I mean, just a wealth of historical knowledge, you know, able to just issue not only quote after quote, but also fact after fact. And one of the ones that he mentioned in the 15 minute and we went into more depth about it was how the USS Constitution had 80 tons of hemp cordage and uh, and sales on it. And hemp was and this was I don't think we talked about this in the 15 minute or we talked about this in the deep dive, but hemp was required by the original colonists as a as a crop that has to be grown as in yeah. it was it was deemed as critical for 
uh, the maritime uh, laws in at the time, and ultimately for the military value of it, for yeah. ships, for clothing, for like I said, you know, ropes, cordage, that type of stuff, mind blowing. And he told me about an entire. And I, I wish I could quote it. I wish I had a better memory here and I could actually quote him specifically. But he told me about a, a, a battle that Daniel Boone was involved in that was specifically over hemp. But mind-blowing that, you know, wars were fought not only after, always, they've always been fought over land and resources, but this was a specific battle related to large hemp crops. And it's yeah. like, that's how valuable this was. You know, over 80, 90 years, we're talking about completely lost the the U.S. Yeah. and our culture completely lost the knowledge that hemp is one of those uh, key crops that really helped to build the U.S. and helped to yeah. ultimately have us gain our independence. I mean, had we not had hemp as a crop here in the U.S., who knows if we would have beat the British? I mean, yeah. it's likely not. So. It's just interesting that we're all we're doing right now is we're basically gaining back something that we've lost right. in the past. Not something we didn't have ever, but something that was ubiquitous to all Americans at the time, everybody in the US that was then completely almost stricken from the record and now it's back. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. No, it is. It, it's totally crazy. I mean, I, I read somewhere that hemp was used as actual currency, right? I mean, X number of bushels or pounds of hemp, you know, you could pay your taxes with hemp. Right. I mean, you know, just the mere fact that that was lost because of fear, it could be because of special interest or whatever. I mean, hemp is a fundamental crop. Right. And it's great to be in this time when hemp is back, you could say. Right. It's back. It's emerging. People are seeing the benefits of it. I mean, the medicinal benefits of it alone for people and animals. I read somewhere that. uh, chickens were starting, there was a farm that was starting to feed its chickens uh, hemp seeds and hemp oils, you know, adding in the hemp oils into its feed, chicken feed. And there was a higher omega-3, I think, or higher omega-8 or something um, that was found in the eggs, right? So there's something that's happening, you know, there's something very special about this plant. You know, I can go on all the financial things and, and you know, I guess, uh, you know, I, yeah, I can go on all the financial as- aspects of him, but the, it's his plan is amazing, and and you know we're just just so happy that we're at the, you know, the first inning of of, of where this can start, you know, or where this begins. Yeah, I can I can see it's clear that you have a passion about the plant, the crop, whether it's hemp, whether it's cannabis, you know, whatnot, um, you know, and that's that's important. Ultimately, that's important to be successful, and it's a great thing to see when I speak with people in this space because, yeah, it's it's. There's, there's every once in a while, there's the occasional time when it's like they're speaking with someone who could care less about it. And <laughs> yeah. all, they're, all they're looking to do is line their, line their pockets with green bills. Yeah. Which, you know, look, I mean, I can't hate anybody for making a buck, but, you know, part of the reason why we added our social component to our business. And just to be clear, you know, yes, our business could do use a market rate solution, right? Non-returning citizens quote unquote, everyday people, right? Or people that don't have records. Um, But we said, you know, what makes us different and what really is a a part of our core value is, you know, doing well by doing good. 
it's in line with what the plant has done for this country. And I think it's in line with what the sentiment of this country is at. I think it's definitely in line with a variety of generations in this country and around this world where they're saying, oh, you know, we can do things better. We can do things differently. And the money will come. The money will come. We're not concerned. We, we, well, we're always concerned about it because we, we want to provide great you know, value for our shareholders. But, you know, we, we've integrated in this social impact aspect into our company because we know that the money without the soul really is anti what the plant is about. So we're really listening to the plant in many ways by including in this social component of hiring, mentorship, training for returning citizens, you know, throughout our company, at least uh, what, what we want to get to is at least 25% of our employees are returning citizens. And really the real goal in terms of our, our um, returning citizens is quite frankly, a returning citizen replaces me and my co-founder as, you know, as, as, as the heads of this company. I mean, that really is the ideal that to me is a total win, right? I mean, right. you know, in addition to, of course, high returns for our investors, but it's also, you know, really, if that happens, I mean, this is a, this is a slam dunk. Right. And, and just to clarify here, I know you've mentioned earlier and with our conversations, but by returning citizen, you're meaning formerly incarcerated citizens, correct? Yes. Right. Yeah, formerly incarcerated individuals. So we hire, if you have been to jail, um, if you have a record, uh, you know, we believe fundamentally that if you have served your time, you should not be required to relive the time that you've served. And what do I mean by that? Unfortunately, in this country, when a person is released from prison, they basically have to relive that trauma of being in prison uh, time and time and time again, right? In terms of interviews, in terms of lack of access to voting rights and things of that nature. So we look at this and say, if you have served your time, you have done, your, you have done I don't wanna say your duty, but you have, you have served your time in the proper fashion and you wish to move on from that portion of your life, then we believe we should provide a platform and we believe others should as well. But we believe we, we will do through example versus just release saying, you know, having press releases, you know, we believe that you should have a second chance. You should have the ability to move on and move your family, your community forward with a good playing job that can provide skills, training, mentorship, et cetera. Um, you know, now we don't do this solely on our own, we do this with partners, right? We do this with Goodwill of Delaware, who is one of our staffing services, right? Our staffing service providers. We, you know, they have programs in-house where people are given life skills, right? Um, because unfortunately, what most people don't understand is when you go to prison, you know, life kind of stops, right? Everybody else's life continues on, but your life really stops. And so there takes some time to get reacclimated. And we built all those processes into um, our partnership with, or us working with different partners like uh, Goodwill of Delaware um, in order to make certain that, you know, we set people up to win because, you know, what's the use in giving a, a, a person a second chance when you set them up to fail, right? I mean, that's just, right. it sounds like a horrible PR campaign or something like that. 
Right, and then so. you make them wear you make them wear a scarlet letter, right? I mean, yeah, everywhere they exactly. go, they, they 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 can't do this, they can't do that. In many in many states, they can't vote, right? And right. it's extremely hard. It's extremely hard to get any sort of a, let's say, living wage job. You know, something yes. that's not just something that's not just sitting on a on some sort of a factory line and just you know plug plug this right. or that or whatever it may be. Um, right. My my guess would be, and I, and this is probably something you should. You should definitely look at it. My guess would be the recidivism of, you know, the employees that you that you have that you know get gainful employment with with you, probably got to be really low. You know, as far as getting yes. incarcerated. Yeah. So there's a stat um, I read recently that within the first year of being released from prison, if a returning citizen does not have employment opportunity they're 85 percent likely to, to go back into uh, into the prison system 85 percent right so you can see the need of that but so my my um uh my interest has always been in economics i majored in economics i went to overland college and then i went and got my mba from cornell the reason why i bring that up is what people a lot of times don't see of how the impact of one individual on a community is there's a multiplier effect, right? That one person bringing home a livable wage significantly can impact at least two, at least three or four people, people, not businesses. This is just people, right? And that could be their immediate family, right? But then if you even take it a little bit further, that one person having a living wage can affect four or five different businesses. So that means, you know, you're out there shopping for groceries more often, right? You're buying potentially a little bit more than what you might need, or you're buying what you need, um, you know, from the different shops. You're transacting, there's there's commerce happening through this multiplier effect. Right. So we look at it as every individual that we that we employ, we're not just helping them out, we're helping their families out, we're helping, you know, their community out. And so we really take it like that. Anytime we hire someone, uh, which, you know, just recently we hired our first full-time employee, which we're very, very excited about, uh, also a returning citizen. Um, you know, we see it as, well, we're not helping that person. We're helping, you know, their community, their family, et cetera, et cetera. And, and, and so that's what really juices us. Yes, the industry, yes, the opportunity within the industry, all those things are very important to us. You know, I do not wish to say they're not, but really it's that multiplier effect and what that does for the communities and, and economically for, quite frankly, places that have been detrimentally affected by the war on drugs, or you could call it the failed war on drugs, et cetera. So, you know, we really, we really take this to heart. This is the plant, the hiring, our people. This is all a part of our passion. This is all part of our mission to do well by doing good um, and really do well by doing good in an area that has been, you know, to use your terms, Matt, like, you know, it's just been neglected. It was, it was suppressed for too long and, and now we're at the forefront of it. So, or now we're at the beginning stages of this uh, new opportunity. The O Cannabis Conference and Expo returns to Toronto June 1st through the 3rd, and there are still good booth locations available. This exciting event is free for cannabis retailers and will feature Tommy Chung receiving a Lifetime Achievement Award at the O Cannabis Industry Awards. For more information about exhibiting or to register to attend, 
Go to ocannabis.com. That's O-C-A-N-N-A-B-I-Z.com. Yeah, and I'll, I mean, this is that, that's amazing what you're doing. When I look at it, it's like, how much good would it do if it was, you know, not just a, an opt-in situation, but almost a requirement, right? Because right. we have, what is the U.S. is like the number one per capita as far as incarcerated people. <laughs> what are we doing? Like, why? Yeah, we, right. Right. What are we doing? <laughs> exactly. Everybody benefits. Everybody benefits, not just the individual that's, you know, the incarcerated individual, that individual, it's their family, yeah. it's their community, it's the businesses around them. It's the business they're working for. Everybody benefits yeah. when someone formerly incarcerated gets out, you know, gets opportunity to have a good job, build a career, you know, find a, find a purpose and meaning to everything that they're doing and support their loved ones. Crazy. Yeah. Like what yeah. are we doing? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, and, it's and, the thing. <laughs> yeah, and, go. And, I mean, I was, I was about to open up a can of worms with another comment by saying, you know, I, I, how many of those individuals, you know, or lives were ruined, families, lives are yeah. ruined, communities torn up and destroyed due to the war on drugs. Even yeah, man. I mean, we could talk about all the different drugs, but even we just talked about specifically marijuana, right? I mean, Sad. yeah. What are the what are the specific numbers? And I, I mentioned this in our. I mean, I don't know the specific numbers right now. I mean, I know yeah. we can find them, but it's just it's mind boggling. Yeah, mind boggling. Like we throw we throw someone in jail for ten years for an ounce of marijuana. Yeah, you know, destroy their community. They can make no money. Their family is now basically kind of scrambling to figure out what they're even going to do. If they have children, those children are growing up without, without a father, without a, without a mother, whatever it may be. It is why, I mean, it's just out of control. And and I mentioned this, I mentioned this on our last conversation, New England extract, they have a, they, they opened up their facility in a former prison. And they also have a social equity also hiring formerly incarcerated individuals. And in my conversation I had with them, I was like, at some point, I don't know if they have yet, but they're going to hire someone that's spent time in that prison. And, and you know, it's interesting, Mark, you even say that because what we've learned or what I've learned personally, and, and you know, I think first off, what a lot of people have to understand is that a returning citizen or a formerly incarcerated individual is not what you think they look like, right? We have a, an idea of what that person looks like, but they really, they could look like you, they could look like me, they could look like the woman crossing the street, they could look, they could look like anything anybody, right? They, we all, you know, formerly incarcerated individuals come in different shapes and sizes, you know, like every human comes in different shapes and sizes. But you're right. I mean, this, you know, the failed war on the war on drugs, and I'm, you know, old enough to remember, you know, the, this is your brain, this is your brain on drugs, you know, I mean, you know, I get it, why it was done. I think it was unbelievably poorly executed, but I do understand why it was done. I, I just think the the fallout or the cost of it was not worth it. Uh, and that's what we're trying to do. And speaking of this industry, I think that we have an opportunity in this industry to do to do good, to really right a lot of wrongs and really right a lot of wrongs unobstructed, mm-hmm. right? Let's hypothetically say whoever's watching this doesn't hear me from the social aspect of it. And that's fine. Maybe you don't hear me from the social aspect of it. Maybe you only hear me from the financial aspect of it. I will put it to you this way, that there are government programs and incentives for hiring formerly formerly incarcerated individuals into your businesses. And so I would say, why not take advantage of whatever you can that is being provided? 
If you don't care about the social aspect of it, then care about the financial aspect of it. There's huge incentives and consistent, yes, you have to do the work to obviously identify them, but there are incentives for hiring formerly incarcerated individuals. And so for either side you wish to play on, there's incentives, right? You can literally build a great business that is a shining beacon of light that is very profitable, et cetera, utilizing returning citizens, as well as having tax benefits and incentives and, and things of that, grants, et cetera, that are handed to you in many ways um, by hiring uh, this, this population that unfortunately, you know, got swept up in the, you know, the, the various hills, the peaks and valleys of life. Right, right. And, uh, you know, talking about specifically the war on drugs here, when the war on drugs started, like I could see, it sounds like something good to do, right? But yeah. it's hard when you see those things that are kind of counterintuitive, where it's like, right. you do this, you know, what are going to be the results 10, 20, 30, 40, whatever it is years down the line. And it's, it's similar to like right now when you look at needle exchanges in yeah. uh, Canada, you look at the decriminalization of all drugs in Portugal. You know, you look at these, they, there's definitely going to be some some negatives, but there's definitely some overwhelming positives, right? But right. it's it's counterintuitive to what you would think. If I give drug addicts clean needles, that's going to incentivize them, could incentivize them to do more drugs. However, it also allows you to improve the public health because you're stopping the spread of certain diseases right. associated with that. You also now have some sort of dialogue or engagement that's created with the the drug culture, the community that you can start to implement strategies, right. plans to, you know, go ahead and, and get them into rehab, you know, yeah. keep people from dying, support them. So it's just crazy that like, it is kind of counterintuitive, right. To what just on the surface level, you would think, Hey, yeah. I want to reduce drug usage. I want to improve public health. Okay. Let's make everything illegal. What does that do? Right. Destroys, yeah, exactly. destroys families, keeps a perpetual system going and then ultimately, you know, what do you what do you end up with? You end up with cartels making tons of money. You know, it's yeah. well, it goes. It's the same thing, Mark, when you talk about the safe banking. Right. So if you want to understand what's happening within the industry, you want to understand what's going on monetarily within the cannabis. And I'm defining cannabis as marijuana and hemp. If you want to understand what's going on in these industries, then you should bank it. Because that's how you track where the money goes, right? If you don't have it, and this is just, to me, it makes logical sense. My partners and I, we talk about it all the time. Um, it just makes logical sense to then to, to implement that framework because that framework will ensure that there's transparency. The issues right now is that the reason why the illicit market is, is where it's at um, although, yes, in some states it is reducing, it is being reduced. Um, but, you know, in major markets like Can uh, um, uh, California, you know, it, it hasn't really. So at least from the last report I read. So, you know, if you want to track this drug or in tra sorry, if you want to track transactions of this medicine, of this plant, of this drug, whatever you how you would be wished, then make it legally bankable. And that is how you can track it. Right. I mean, there's a reason why people came up with RFID chips for merchandise when you're in a store, you wish to track, you know, track where the merchandise is going. Well, the same thing can be done through banking. So I'm hoping that, you know, our politicians kind of get off their posturing and they're, I'm going to do this. I'm going to, you know, look at, I'm going to be the weed guy. And 
you know, whatever, uh, and just, you know, get into banking. I mean, you know, right. the banking system is set up specifically for tracking. You know, I, I hate to, spoiler alert, you know, that's, you know, when you well, swipe your credit card, the bank knows what happened, what you swipe your credit card on, which is not a bad thing, you know, necessarily. Right. And, and I, don't, I don't know how deep I want to get into all this stuff specifically, but you know, there's a there's a giant disconnect right now between certain sides of the country, right? Far left, far right, battling each yep. other. A belief that Washington, um, with the large segment of the country, that Washington is doing nothing. That they're that they're basically they have that they have zero, very little power to actually move the needle because everybody's just posturing and everybody's stopping everybody else's bills, rules, laws, whatever. Yep. And it's things like this that start to build. Um, that belief in people's minds, right? Where you have marijuana that should not have been uh, pro uh, criminalized, you know, made illegal in the first place and put on uh, schedule one. And it's remained there, even though the country as a whole and the states have moved far past the federal government, right? Yes. And ultimately asserting in, even though it's still federally, federally illegal, the states have been utilizing their um, sovereignty for in a sense and their uh, to implement their own laws and rules related to it. So now the country as a whole is really supporting it. The majority of Americans want marijuana legalized yet it's going nowhere. And it's right. the main reason it's not banked, right? Because it's still schedule one and, and the banking system is afraid to touch it. It's just wild. It's like, it's like you see kind of the, the, the gridlock. And this is just yeah. a perfect example. Should never have been yeah. illegal in the first place and yeah. seems to be going nowhere. Every time I talk to experts in the space, they're always like, and I've, I've said this a few times, it's like, oh, yeah. two to three years is going to change. Two to three years. <laughs> and it's, that was yeah. like, people have been saying that since the early 2000s, you know? Yeah. And then, yeah. and then when, when recreational legalization happened in, in a you know, host of states and it's sweeping the country, um, still it's, oh, you know, about two to three years, it's going to be legalized. <laughs> yeah. yep. like, why has it not been already? Trust me, I'm, I'm with you because I look around and I'm saying, you know, look, we're in the hemp game. So we're in a very different model, right? right uh, than cannabis, but it's not that we haven't looked at cannabis. It's that we are building out our infrastructure, uh, so that we have an option of going into cannabis, right? So that's kind of our play, but you know, it makes no sense why this is, you know, again, I mean, just tax revenue alone, right? I mean, Colorado being a perfect example, a couple hundred million in, you know, debt or whatever they were in, you know, they got out of it in like three or four years, right? I mean, you know, there's, there's Massachusetts is killing it. I mean, Jersey's about to, you know, Jersey's going to be where I'm actually from. I mean, we're actually where most of the team is from. Uh, you know, Jersey's going to be humongous. New York, is going to be big, but I think as a state, Jersey is going to be just ridiculous. Uh, Pennsylvania is already ridiculous, you know, but you look at this and you look at what they've made. Michigan is another example. Michigan has huge. been, I never thought Michigan, which is a conservative state by nature, but they saw it and they said, let's focus on taxes. Like every Michiganite <laughs> is, you know, uh, you know, they don't wish to have their taxes raised, but they'll pay a 35% tax on, uh, you know, an eighth of, uh, you know, whatever strain. So yeah, this seems to work, right? It just logically seems to map out. And it's unfortunate because we could get it done. 
We saw during the pandemic that necessarily necessary businesses deemed as necessary businesses were vertical farms, which we qualified for that. And in addition to that, cannabis, uh, you know, dispensaries, et cetera. Clearly there's a need for it. Clearly there's a want for it. And I think a lot of the rules and regulations that are in place are um, good enough, kind of to go back to the, what you mentioned, like the, the war, the failed war on drugs, you get why they make the parameters, but like, let's just see how these parameters play out right now. And then we can loosen or tighten as necessary. But, you know, a lot of the things are in place, like, let's just get it done. And, and again, if you want to understand where the money flow is, and if you want to remove, let's say, cartels further out of the picture, then get it banked and you will be able to trace where the money, I think it's easier in my mind, it'll be easier to trace where the money is coming from and where it's going. That's where it has to be descheduled first. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I was about to get into that, right? Yeah. I mean, who would ever think that heroin is the same, should be, should be deemed the same as marijuana? That makes no sense. And to a logical, rational human being, which I think most of our politicians are, I just think there's a lot of game playing right now in this current environment. You know, they understand this too. I think we need to stop putting the plant on trial and focus on the logical steps of moving forward. Right. We need to stop bringing up the horror stories of marijuana and hemp of the past and focus on what the future really provides for this plant and in this industry. There are significant number of jobs that can be created. There's significant number of tax revenue that can be generated. There's medicines that we have not even thought of uh, that can be that can be derived from this plant. Anxiety, depression, eating sexual dysfunction, this all can come from this plant. And so we need to stop looking in the past, you could say, similar to a returning citizen. Their past is their past. Let's now chart a future forward with this returning citizen and or this plant, because it's a very similar journey. Journey. Don't judge what this plant was thought of as in the past. Let's move forward with this. And the conversation could be so much more fruitful economically as well as social. I, I couldn't agree more. I want to shift gears a bit here. I want to talk specifically about technology. One of the portion things that we talk about with um, Eternal Hemp Farms with you prior is, is the key focus on technology, having you been a technologist, you know, in, in your past. Mm -hmm. Let's let's dive into that. I mean, you guys are working on some kind of innovative ways to grow your hemp with right. vertical farming um, indoors. You know, is there anything you can share with us specifically about that? And then also yeah. what type of other technologies are you implementing? You know, it, is there softwares, AI, yeah. things along those lines? You mentioned blockchain. Very, I'm very yeah. familiar with blockchain. And obviously the world now knows about blockchain due to right. the amount of cryptocurrencies there are out there that are exploding. Um, so, yeah, right. let's just I guess let's just start wherever you'd like to take it with technology. Yeah. So. The way that we approach all these problems is we said, you know, let's look at what everyone else is doing. And, you know, we we saw that um, the transparency within the industry was one of the hurdles that needed to be corrected. Right. So what happens when I plant a seed within a system and how does that get to the end? Right. And therein lies kind of where we overlaid, uh, overlaid uh, blockchain. You know, just to give you kind of an idea of our system, and I'm looking in front of it because that's uh, 
where a lot of these this pink light is coming from. You know, we grow eight levels high, about 13 feet up in the air, right? Um, we have uh, a proprietary system that we worked with um, the main manufacturer uh, in order to reduce the amount of energy and labor cost within the actual growing system, as well as, um, you know, keep the high standards of um, terpene development, you know, bud size, uh, you know, smell, nose, all the all those different things that we know that the end client is looking for as well. Um, you know, with that. So, so real quick, sorry, to, sorry yes. to cut you off there. Sorry, but uh, yeah, no problem. At, at eight levels high and thirteen, uh, thirteen feet. So you're talking, you know, a little over a foot per level. And I know we talked about this in our last yeah. conversation. Those. So you're growing a very, you're growing a, probably a, a high, high volume, high number of plants, yeah. um, keeping them very short and ultimately like kind of bushy. How many times do you uh, ultimately like say topping the plant? Like how many top colas are you getting? Is, it, is there a bunch of tops? Yeah, there's a bunch of tops. I mean, you call them, you know, we call them shorties, you know, so we, we grow a pro we grow a minimum about a, um, a pound per square foot, right? Our cost which you know we know the industry is a little bit higher but our cost is around 30 to 40 percent less than what others will get you know as a you know the pound per square foot um and that's really where we looked at this from a standpoint of you know we needed to we we knew we needed to have the right growing staff in place and that that's what we got but in addition to that what we really needed to focus on was you know, the inputs, right? So what is our electricity cost? What's our water cost? What's our labor cost? Which really electricity and labor are the two largest standpoint in any grow. So we look to really reduce those without reducing quality. And we went through, I want to say an exhaustive um, six month testing period of a variety of different systems. We took anywhere from homegrown systems to uh, what you could call uh, space age, type systems, you know, and we, we compared them and, and, and changed a variety of things in them to write it to really suit our needs. So we came at this similar to how we came with the company with the end in mind. We knew full well that we needed a fairly automated system. We knew full well we needed a high density system so we could grow at scale. We knew full well we needed um, a food grade system so that we could inevitably achieve our end goal, which is European and American GNP uh, certification. Um, so the, all these things, you know, we factored into it. Uh, you know, now on top of that, what we also did is uh, we added in um, a tracking system where we can track virtually every single level, every single plant very similar to the way they do it in cannabis, but we wanted to bring that into the hemp world because we knew that we were going to be delivering a, just a higher quality uh, product at scale. And so we incorporated, you know, utilizing a lot of my technology background, we were wrapping up the development of our applications that are going to support this. And, and to your point, yes, blockchain is going to be a part of that. Um, and yes, AI is going to be a part of that as we start accumulating more and more data. Uh, because the one thing, again, thinking of the end in mind, when we look to identify uh, an acquirer 
or we are looking to even acquire a business, uh, which we do have that within our, within our path, we want to know that not necessarily turnkey, but we want to know that we can come in with a predictable understanding and that then translates into a predictable result of our grow, of our, you know, of, of our efforts. And so that's really how we thought of all these things, um, building out this system, building out the technology, building out even the process flows, our SOPs and all that, really looking at this as, well, how can we, you know, turn this over? So I'll give you kind of an example, just tapping everyone or tapping my, uh, you know, my co-founder, he was a builder at one point in time in his life, did well in that. Um, and so he's done track homes. And if you know track homes, in essence, every single home is the exact same. So you have to come up with, there's a methodology in which you have to approach the development and building of, you know, this, this, this development site. That's very similar to how we did that, how we've done that within Eternal Hemp. You know, leveraging our technology, level, leveraging, you know, our soon to be released uh, um, mobile application uh, so that we can actually understand what's really going on in our system and be able to get the same results every single time. Right, right. So my actually, when you mentioned the, the example of uh, builders and building, you know, track homes, my, my wife's in that industry. So I'm actually yeah. familiar with that, with that industry. Yeah. She's, she's the expert, believe me. Yeah, um, but I can bet you, you understand it, right? Because in a yeah, track home, you have like four or five different models. And, right. and you got to be able to get these four or five different models up in a very set period in time. Right. It's, right. Oh, it's that's not necessarily the segment my wife works in, but my understanding of yeah. it is if you have a, you know, let's say I've got 10 acres and she yeah. works with big developers and that, yeah. and that big developer is planning on developing that 10 acres. They basically start to do the math. They're like, okay, we need to get X yep. amount, you know, per square acre of this, of this build, we have to have blank units, you know, this many right. units, units have to go at this price. And the only way that this works is if we set up some sort of uh, Melarus district to yeah. cover these associated costs. Yeah. So basically, they're basically, it's kind of almost as if you're, you're not necessarily work starting with the end in mind and working backwards. You're kind of yeah. doing both. You're kind of starting from the beginning and starting from the end to then kind of work and meet in the middle. Because right. the ultimate price of each one of those units ends up being somewhere associated with like, okay, how much revenue do we need to generate? Also, what are we going to build to make sure that we generate this amount of revenue and that it's actually feasible for the community to go out there and purchase it, right? Right, exactly. You have 10 acres, you, 10 acres, you build one giant castle on it. <laughs> one one $300 right. million dollar castle, not... It's, that may not be the best business model, you know, at the same no, time, yeah. at the same time you stack them into, you know, let's say each there's a 500 square foot lot. You make yeah. 500 square foot lots and you pack in, you know, 30,000 units into this thing. Yeah. That might not work either. So they, they're kind of, yeah. like I said, it's almost like starting and from the beginning and the end and kind of working those things out together. So when you mentioned your technology, uh, the with the tracking systems and the blockchain. So this is all this is all things that are in progress right now. So you guys, yeah. So so these yeah. are all things that are being developed that you're going to be implementing soon. Yeah. So we have the system. We have the growth system finalized. 
Uh, we have the, uh, so that's up and running actually with the, we call it the operating system, which is our pumping system. I mean, you know, we, we took this. You got to give it a better name than the operating system. Well, you know, <laughs> I, I guess it's because it's coming from technology. It's like, well, this is the operating system, right? right. This is the brains of the, of the uh, system. And then there's the growth system that, you know, where the plants are. And then of course there's a monitoring system. So yeah, I gotta, we gotta come up with cooler names. Absolutely. I'll let Andrew deal with that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> if I'm forgetting the name off the top of my head, but I'm, I'm envisioning like Iron Man's, uh, Iron Man's assistant. Yeah. Yeah. Mach, yeah. Mach six, Mach seven. Yeah. Yeah. Something, something like that. Or even like, what was it? Halo. I'm thinking like Katana, <laughs> like yeah. one of these, one of these names where it's like, Please tell me about my girl. I mean, I guess even then, if you're talking like you've got Alexa, it's almost like your version of Alexa. You got to give it a name. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we'll give it a name. That's a good idea. Yeah, well, well yeah, that's actually a really good idea. Yeah, because I'm going to just say Tower One, Tier Three. <laughs> you know? So as far as the as far as the grow tracking system, that's implemented. Yeah. But you're working on you're working on yeah. the blockchain and the obviously AI AI only matters um, or you know or some type of machine learning. It really only matters when you start getting a lot of data. You know, it's really yes. for yeah. it's really for managing and crunching the data. So it's not yeah. one of those things that you need to like start right away with one. No, right? it would be a poor it'd be a poor use of resources to start it, exactly. right. Now. You exactly yeah. you'd you'd spend a lot of money and resources ultimately yeah. on developing something that then has no data sets to work off exactly. of. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So so get the data sets first and then as far as the blockchain goes. So the blockchain mm -hmm. For those that don't know blockchain, you're basically applying some sort of blockchain to something, and then you're able to track that across the chain. So every time there's a transaction, a transfer, or whatever it may be, it's adding a digital block to the chain that's ultimately immutable, right? So, yeah. so that's something that. So I'm just I'm you know guessing here that that's going to be something where each seed or or seedling is applied its own you know let's say number chain um nft right non-fungible yeah. token of some sort yeah. where that is now that now follows that specific seed or seedling across the entire processing in the chain yes exactly so we look at it yeah you know any harvest we're going to and we want this not only just for our customer we're, we're you know which which we're a b2b player right we don't have brands we're not we're not necessarily that's not really what we're looking to build right now. Um, so we're a B2B player. We want to know that our end customer, which could be, you know, a tobacco company, it could be a smoke shop, it could be, you know, a, a brand of some sort or whatever. We want them to understand that this batch that we're delivering, you can see the entire history of what's been done with this batch, where it was sourced, how it was treated along the way, you know, the stages of development that it took, uh, we look at that and say, back to my initial point at the top of the conversation, which is, you know, we're just looking to be more professional, right? To provide so much more transparency um, so that a person really understands, okay, I know full well that an eternal hemp derived uh, strain or grown strain, I know where it started and I know, and, and I know where it ended, which is in that person's hand or on that person's shelves. So ultimately, the blockchain is more, it's more going to be applied specifically to strains and batches. Because ultimately, yes. yeah, so the way I said it earlier, a specific seed and a seedling, we're talking about the volume, right? The sheer number yeah. 
the sheer volume of it would be ridiculous. Yeah, that would be that would be <laughs> yeah. hard to manage. I mean, yeah. one of those, one of your, you called, you said they were called shorties, the your yeah. little plants. Yeah. So yeah, when I when you know we we do. I'm just curious, yeah. what, what what amount of weight would one shorty specifically produce? Oh, not much. We see we don't even go with. So I would say every single tier, every single tier that we uh, grow in we generate a little bit over a pound uh, per tier. Okay. So about a pound and a half per tier. So, you know, and you get anywhere. You have how many, how many seedling, how many uh, plants grown in it? Uh, we can grow anywhere from 50 to a hundred uh, plants within the system or within that tier. Okay. So then, so then ultimately when these are growing, you really are getting like one or two really nice solid colas. Cause that yeah. and producing. And it's a beautiful, bud. it's a beautiful, bud. it's a beautiful, bud. yeah. Because, you know, unlike many of the other uh, manufacturers, you know, we, we are, if we're focused on that type of quality, then we, you know, when you're focused at that level, at that type of quality, you know, we can ensure that your buds are kind of the exact, the sizes that you're looking for, for your clientele, you know, we can really grow to spec. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's a, that's a key thing for us to be able to achieve. Right. Um, just because of consistency and things of that nature. Right. And these are completely soilless. These are hydroponic or yep. aeroponic? All hydroponic. All yep. hydroponic. Are they, yep. are they placed in like a rock wool type material or? Well, yeah, we use rock wool. We've used, um, we've used this uh, soil type of system, but, you know, we, we, we haven't really solidified on what we're going to use right now. We've, we're still testing with that only because we want to be able to transition into a real sustainability model. And so Rockwell, unfortunately, you know, you use it and it all gets thrown away. Um, so, you know, it's not ideal for what we want to be in, but, um, you know, we're, we're confident that probably by the end of this second or third harvest that we have, um, we'll be able to identify the right medium. I mean, mm -hmm. right now it's mostly Rockwell, but, you know, we're, we're, we're looking at other options. Sure. I mean, my, my guess would be there's probably something, I, it's been a long time since I've been involved in, in anything hydroponic related. So, um, and I did grow hydroponically in the past. So I, I do right. have like a, a base level of knowledge, but my guess would be there's probably, there's gotta be some sort of like cocoa fiber type yeah. replacement for rock wool that's on its way. That's going to be more sustainable. Um, yeah. Yeah. I don't definitely, definitely don't know too much about it. Um, no, but the, as far as lighting too, I'm guessing you're using all LEDs, everything all else. LEDs, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Else would be way too expensive yeah. or too, too hot. Um, it just, you know, it just didn't make sense. Again, when everyone was going right, we went left, right? We're saying, okay, people using HPS, you know, uh, using, you know, th these other hugely high powered for mostly cannabis. And we say, okay, well, let's figure out something different, a hybrid of some sort, you know, how can we do different light cycles utilizing, you know, utilizing different vendors. So, you know, we went on a search. I mean, in developing our, our, our technology, you know, we really had to go on a search and really challenge our manufacturers to, to, you know, go beyond what they were even comfortable with, right? And say, look, just test it. Let's see what it looks like. What is it look, you know, what's the spectrum? You know, what can we get? How can we, what does it look like when we go from flowering to veg, you know, or from veg to flowering, you know? You know, we really had to push them and we pushed ourselves, right, to get uncomfortable.
you know, this this is an area of the growing space that I've been very interested in for a little while. I've I've been I've always been interested in lighting, and for everybody, uh, like you know, all the things, the HSPs, the metal halides, that type of stuff. Um, you know, they they spit out so much light, so really high power value, but they're also spitting out a ton of spectrums that aren't by the plants. Or useful, right? Yeah, but you can so you can get you know with LEDs, and this is just for everybody. Obviously, you know this, but this is for everybody that's listening. Yeah. For LEDs, you can get more specific to the spectrum, only utilizing the energy that it takes to produce a certain spectrum that that right. plant is now going to take in. However, there are variables. You know, there are there are spectrums that LEDs do not cover well, or mm -hmm. they didn't maybe cover a broad enough spectrum because. It's not like the plant only takes in one tiny specific spectrum. It's a, right. it's a little bit broader than than just that. Yeah. So that's been kind of the the battle of like, okay, how much, what spectrums do we need to spit out to really optimize the LEDs? And I mean, when I was diving into this, I mean, this was like 15 years ago. So the technology of LEDs has exploded. And now, I mean, yeah, really it has. makes sense. It has. And the greatest thing is with the different lighting manufacturers that we use, you know, there's we mix and match these things, right? I mean, there's different times when, you know, we're utilizing certain LEDs for certain aspects of it, then we switch over to another set, you know, so we have our systems flexible enough to be able to, you know, harness that and really allow us to, uh, you know, change depending upon the strain. I mean, there's another thing that we take it from our technology and our tracking and everything. Not every strain requires the exact same thing. Right. Um, you know, those are very important things that we've learned from growers. We learned from our head grower, Matt Brewer. We, we really had to understand that, you know, not every strain is going to do the exact same thing, you know, just because you gave it the exact same light. That was really a great education for us, right? To say, okay, well, if we're doing this, and there, therein lies where a lot of our technology is coming in because we, we aim to be. Uh, you know, that very consistent manufacturer, right? I mean, you look at Tylenol, right? Tylenol is the same every single time. You look at McDonald's as, an, as another example. The McDonald's kitchen is, regardless of the size of the actual eating and sitting area, the McDonald's kitchen is really fairly the exact same size, therefore having almost the exact same workflow, right? Therefore, you can pop up McDonald's anywhere as anyone who is alive in this world knows, you know, they all kind of work the exact same way. So right. we looked at it and said, how can we bring best supply chain management solutions and technology into this? And therein lies where our tracking system is very important. Therein lies with, you know, even our branding and our messaging, which we're getting out there, it's very much focused on, you know, we're going to provide you the same exact thing every single time because this is what the industry is looking for, right. or at least this is what the industry is telling us they're looking for. And and when you start talking about things like everything, everything you just mentioned, but you start talking about things like machine learning or AI, when you plug in the data yeah. set, you know, if you're, you've got 10 strains and those 10 yeah. strains, you are mapping all of the outputs, you're mapping all of the locations, you're mapping the, you know, the energy that's going into those plants. And then you're ultimately taking into account the processing and then how much you end up with and what the quality of that is you're going to very easily be able to delineate, okay, we can do better here. We can cut this. Yep, okay. exactly. One thing you haven't mentioned, however, which my guess is is probably on the radar as well, is robotics. 
Yeah. Has, has, that been, has that been on your radar? Because when I, when I envision an indoor grow that has eight levels, right. And has very small plants. I also envision a lot, you know, and you've already said it yourself multiple times here, very labor intensive. So a lot of labor uh, inputs going into each one of these, each one of these grow facilities. Um, however, there's going to be a lot of, you know, automated tasks that are, that are, that could probably be done by a robot, such as, planting the seedlings, you know, in some sort of rock roll system and things along those lines. So has robotics been on your radar? So we've, you know, because of my background, it of course has been, you know, we've talked about it. Um, the thing where I hesitate to really say yes to robotics is one of the things that we've learned, and this is really our respect for the plant, you know, there's only so much robotics can do that can provide a cost savings, right? There's a point in time when a human must intervene because it just doesn't make any sense, right? Visual inspections, for example, visual inspections of the towers, visual inspections of different plants, right? You know, immediate and post reactions from, you know, the applications of different sprays. These are things that we don't believe that robots can do that well right now. So yes, it is, of course, in any commercial manufacturer's um, vision board, it is definitely on there. On ours right now, we are fully focused on really training and hiring, you know, the most skilled people that we can identify within, within this industry, whether they be returning citizens or not. But yes, you're right. There is definitely, you know, a perfect example, our first grow room, uh, which is a thousand square feet, you know, we're doing over, I don't know, somewhere in the neighborhood of like 20,000 plants, right? There is an automation that is necessary for that, but we opted to not do that right now because one, we don't know what we don't know. And so we might as well make the mistakes right now as a manual process. And then from there transfer and then move things into automation. I mean, we do a lot of automation in terms of testing of pH levels, EC, you know, all these, all these different factors, you know, nutrient uptake, et cetera, uh, temperature, blah, blah, blah. So we do have a lot of that automated and that's all being tracked at current. But in terms of the automation of the actual labor, we haven't gotten there yet. You know, one of the things that just being in technology for as long as I have been, a lot of the mistakes that a lot of companies make is they tend to over-engineer without knowing the actual data that they really require to run their business properly. And when you go that way, usually when you go that way, meaning you over-engineer, you know, you, you just spend a crap ton of money, usually inefficiently. And quite frankly, because I've been part of some startups that have done this, that you, know, you burn through capital and you don't actually have the results that you're looking for, right? right? So we take it as a very methodical, uh, method. Like, for example, when we were looking at growth systems, you know, we, we tested like over five growth systems, right? Individually, we compared them. We, you know, we, we level set everything. We normalized the data results, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, what we found from that is that, well, more commercial, somewhat homegrown hybrid is kind of the way that, you know, is the best way to go versus the fully homegrown or the ultra commercial, which, you know, we couldn't justify the cost of it right? In order for us to hit the price points and be a market leader in terms of not only volume, quality, and scale, but, you know, 
in terms of price as well, right? So, you know, to, to, to go back to your question, yes, we looked at automation, we looked at robots, you know, right now, you know, uh, Hal is not going to take over the building. Uh, you know, we'll we'll get to, we'll get to that soon enough. Uh, you know, once we have enough data. Yeah, and when you when you mentioned one of my things, this I spin into my head when you mentioned the uh, things like visual inspections. I mean, you know, as far as computer learning with imagery, uh, that's yeah. huge, that's huge right now. And I know I know that there are apps out there that do it for like general house plants, where right. you supposedly take a picture of your house plant. You know, and it'll it'll uh, compare that plant and how it looks with the certain types and all the you know color variations it has, and if it needs water or if it's being overwatered or if it has some sort of disease, yeah. they're supposedly going to give you an output. Never used those before. My bet would be is there's got to be somebody doing that right now in the yeah. cannabis space specifically. Right. Probably not a high level priority until you got past some of the other stuff as far as uh you know launching all the other systems you've been talking about yeah uh, but yeah yeah we're, we're trying we're trying to like move logically forward right what's the next logical step next logical step you know i think version 1.0 of this industry we saw people really jump over you know the logical steps of step one step two step three we're just looking and saying all right let's just do the logical steps that make that make sense for us you know right. at this point in time we don't have to trailblaze everything Quite, quite frankly, we don't have to trailblaze anything. What we have to do is we have to provide a high quality, consistent product at the right price point for our customers to be happy and to derive their own added benefit from it, from whatever medium they choose to put our product within. And, and if you're trying to make a solid business, I mean, sure, you can yeah. try to be the trailblazer, but a lot of times trailblazers get killed. I mean, there's a ton yeah. of... I know we've been on for a while here and want to start getting to the point where we can wrap things up. However, I'd like to end it with uh, kind of more of a broad question since we've been talking about technology, what's coming in the future, but what gets you excited for the future? And ultimately, besides, say, the sale of Eternal Hemp, what are you looking forward to with growing the business? And like I said, what really gets you excited for what's coming next? What gets me really excited and what I love to talk about with my partners is the opportunities of where this goes, right? There are so many different ways in which we can build this business where we can be proud of what we produced at the end of the day. Visually, I would say what gets me excited is seas of green, right? Just seeing towers filled with beautiful hemp plants that are healthy and that are destined for a really great home, right? So that, that, that visually really gets me excited. I'd say from a business standpoint, it's going to really be, it is making great partnerships. You know, we are looking to, we, we are looking to be the engine for a lot of great brands. We're looking to be the engine for a lot of uh, different applications of hemp, CBD, and potentially cannabis, as well as, you know, really start to shore up the industry in terms of its professionalism, shore up the industry in terms of its supply chain issues, you know, things of that nature. So what really gets me excited is the partnership opportunities and new applications for this plant, the ability to really have a, a, a real social impact, right? Not just talk about it, but really do it. And ultimately, you know, the ability to provide my investors 
you know, outsized uh, or oversized uh, return on their investment uh, through this business. You know, there's many things I could talk about, you know, that we dream of. I mean, I would say our, our end goal, really where we're trying to, you know, what we've mapped, well, I wouldn't say it's our end goal. I say one of the main milestones that we're looking to achieve is have a half a million square foot under uh, of canopy space, right? And we believe that with our plan, we will be able to get to that. Um, you know, we're doing it methodically and we're not trying to rush, uh, but we're moving at a good pace. But, you know, those, those are some of the things that really, really get me excited. As I mentioned, you know, a returning citizen uh, taking over my position, right? That would really, when I envision this company, uh, you know, in the future, having that happen is absolutely part of my dream. You know, walking, well, you know, quote unquote, walking away, uh, knowing it's in good hands with someone that has, uh, uh, that, that I, I know is in a better suited position to take this company to the next level. I think the application of different, uh, you know, the usage and application of different hemp. I mean, we, you know, we, we're just scratching the surface in terms of the different cannabinoids that can be utilized for health and wellness. Uh, we're definitely just scratching the surface in terms of the different applications, right? Vapes, smoke, pre-rolls, et cetera. I mean, we're just starting, you know, I've seen patches, I've seen, you know, we're just starting that, you know, different water soluble solutions. We're just starting that. And so, you know, we're looking to be, when I envision this country, we're looking to be a great partner, uh, a great provider in within the supply chain and, you know, a great social impact partner uh, as well to the communities that we sit in. And of course, um, you know, a great uh, investment opportunity for our investors to really feel proud of, not just from the financial standpoint, but also from the social and, uh, you know, the, the growth of the industry, how we've contributed to the growth of the industry. I mean, I can tell you there's a hundred thing, I mean, in terms of, uh, you know, just seeing people thrive through this, you know, I mean, I'm hoping that by providing people living wages, we will be able to see, you know, more community development, home ownership, you know, within different communities, you know, this, this is really what we think of and what cannabis can provide, you know, our country and maybe others. Um, you know, I think it's, it's, it is just, it's just a fascinating time. And I know my team is, is, is excited. I mean, we are just very, very excited by everything that's happening. Very cool. Well, I think that's a great place for us to wrap it up. I think that's all well said. Uh, you know, this, this wraps up today's deep dive. We'll make sure that we include all of your contact information on how to get a hold of you and and yeah. turn around, um, in all of the show notes and then we will do a, a recap sometime in the near future all yeah right. we'll, we'll definitely awesome thank you michael thank you mark appreciate it man Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Tune into a major journey podcast today, where guests take listeners on journeys and immerse themselves in the roller coaster ride both in and out of the cannabis space that brought them to where they are today. Throughout our conversations, guests share valuable lessons that they've learned along the way that listeners can use to empower growth both in their personal and professional lives. 
Check out A Major Journey today on all major podcast platforms.